0: This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit CincyJourney.org. Okay. Good morning. Uh, my name is Joe Merrick. I have done this before, just not forgetting everything like that, but that's okay. Uh, it's so nice to be with you again. My family and I got to uh, enjoy spring break last week, and you, sa- you, saved, you saved, saved all, saved all this, this wonderful, cold, freezing weather for returns turns back here, and uh, nobody feels sorry for me at all. I know. Uh, well, welcome to week number five here at Journey Church of this series called Fully You. Fully you And what we've been talking about in this series is um, finding our true selves, our true identity in Christ, in God. And, and all the things we got to do uh, for that to happen, about getting past pain and hurts and failures and embracing the characters and the characteristics God wants in us. That's what we're going to continue to talk about today. This is our last week in this series. Uh, before we do that, let me just uh, welcome everyone once more. I'll remind you that uh, we have our Connect card here in the uh, seat back in front of you. If you would grab one of those this morning and fill it out, it's an incredibly important piece uh, for us as a church. You can uh, let us know the details, uh, but also... Um, On the back, you can tell us prayer requests, decisions you've made, other things you want us to know about. So please take a moment this morning uh, and and fill that out for us. And then at the end of our time together, you can drop it in the offering bags as they go by uh, as we close our service. With that shared, uh, let me just uh, pray for us today. Lord God, we are thankful, thankful for uh, this morning, thankful for uh, this place to gather in, thankful, God, for just this time of worship that we've had already, and we pray. We pray that even now you begin to open our minds and our hearts to what you want to say to us, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Throughout this series, we've been talking about finding our full identity, our true identity in Christ. And so let me just give you uh, the uh, quick overview of where we've been. In weeks number one and two, we focused on some things to get past. We talked about getting uh, a past shame. We talked about getting past anger and how those were important pieces in finding ourselves in Jesus. We talked about the changes we need to make in week number three, specifically changes on the inside, in our heart. And what we focused in on, uh, on this week was finding time, finding time, prioritizing time that we are spending with God ourselves, time praying, reading scriptures, just focusing on Him. Last week, uh, Woody talked about forgiveness and how that's key Christian identity. This week, this week we're going to talk about how uh, uh, community is a necessary part of our Christian identity. Community, uh, being together in our society, we love the idea of being a self-made person, of uh, pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, uh, of accomplishing anything that we want on our own. But as we look at scripture, one of the things we discover is God's plans for us aren't solitary. Not just us off in a corner. God designs us to be in community, to be in relationships, in friendships with other believers, and together to do God's work. As we get started this morning, just a a few biblical examples of where this kind of gets highlighted, this importance of community. If we go all the way back to the beginning, to the first couple uh, of pages of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, we see God has uh, gone through so much of the creation story. He creates Adam, and for the first time, he says, something isn't right. Something is not good. The thing that is not good is that he is alone And so he creates, God creates Eve because we were designed in God's image to be in community and to together to do God's work. If we fast forward from from there to uh, Jesus in the New Testament, uh, one of the things we see is this special moment where Jesus has spent so much of his uh, uh, ministry so far Investing, teaching the disciples, this group that has been around him uh, for so long, and so he's he's kind of taught and taught and taught and been with them, been an example, and he decides, okay, it's time. You all need to go out and, and get a taste of what it's like to do ministry, and so in in Mark chapter six verses six and uh, six and seven, and Luke chapter ten verse one, he sends them out, but. He doesn't send them out alone. He doesn't send them out by themselves. He sends them out in groups. He sends them out together with partners. Again, because community is important. Then uh, in the letters that we have to the early church, after Jesus has ascended back to heaven, barely a chapter goes by without some reference some reference to the importance of community in this kind of early church that's just getting started. In other words, it's not just, hey, you and Jesus, it's about you and Jesus and the people around you. So God calls us to community. But as we look around ourselves, as we look at our society, as we look at our life, one of the things that has been noticed by us and by sociologists and by so many others is that we are increasingly lonely as people. Increasingly lonely as people. Earlier this year, Andy Crouch of Christianity Today was speaking to a conference and it was about this very topic, about loneliness, and he kind of brilliantly unpacks it. And so we're going to spend some time just watching him do that this morning. But uh, uh, in order to kind of catch him in the middle of his talk, I'm going to fast forward uh, the first maybe uh, few several minutes here, because he starts uh, by t- describing just history and, and kind of how history has unfolded, and he's walking the audience through Three major revolutions that he talks about as kind of contributing, at least uh, as kind of a secondary thing, to our loneliness. So, three major revolutions. Number one, he talks about a financial revolution. A financial revolution that happens in society where uh, uh, money, value gets uh, transferred from just agriculture, from just owning land to money by itself. There's banks now and there's uh, loans and so there's value in money itself and that's a revolution for people. It changes how they live, how they interact with one another talks about the industrial revolution. We're familiar with that where, uh, where society goes from what one person can do in kind of one day's work to what one person and a machine can do. And it's infinitely more and it has a profound effect on society. And he goes on and he says, and there's, there's informa- the information revolution where technology has become the primary way we learn. In, uh, uh, information isn't... Uh, Passed down from one generation to the next. It's searched for on the internet or or taught through some video that we have watched. And so he's using these kind of three revolutions and he's beginning just to kind of unpack and describe for us the loneliness in our society. And so we're going to spend the first couple of minutes together just watching him unpack this together.
1: Great sense of disease. I've had the privilege of hosting of, over the years guests from other parts of the world. People who uh, come from places where these three revolutions have not fully played out. And I've gotten into the habit of asking guests from Uganda or El Salvador or Southeast Asia when they come to visit the United States, what do you notice about my country that I might not notice as someone who's lived here my whole life? And there's one answer that's just so consistent I've come to expect it. I remember the first time I heard it from my friend, Zach, who visited from Uganda. I said, Zach, what do you notice about the United States? He said, I notice how lonely it is. And I thought, that is the most true thing I've ever heard about my culture and I never could have said it myself. I never could have named it. But as soon as it was named, I was like, oh, this is exactly what it's like to live in this world this lonely world of money and engines and information. Vivek Murthy was Surgeon General of the United States uh, for a number of years, just finished his term in 2017. He wrote this in the Harvard Business Review just in September of 2017. During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. Modernity is a great place to have power. It's not a great place to be a person. Now, here is the fascinating thing. To me, this is when the talk gets fun and interesting. So if it hasn't been fun or interesting up till now, hang on. Because actually, all three of these revolutions, in a way, happened once before. This is not actually the first time we've had these revolutions in wealth and work and knowledge. Because all three of them, in a very significant way, happened at the time of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the first empire to systematically mint coins, to create coinage as a medium of exchange and use it throughout the empire, largely to salary the standing military that served the generals, the Caesars, eventually the uh, the emperors. The Romans, of course, didn't have engines in the way we do hydrocarbon and steam engines, but they did have engines and they had engineering. They had the ability to leverage force in ways that vastly expanded their ability to build, to construct uh, cities and and other works of, of incredible technical sophistication for the ancient world. And because the Romans eventually conquered the whole Mediterranean Rim, they absorbed the knowledge from the world of Greece and the world of North Africa, and all that was brought into these extraordinary libraries of uh, high Roman Republican Empire. And this created incredible prosperity and incredible abundance, especially for the few whose names we still remember. The philosophers and generals and leaders and writers and poets who made a name for themselves, in the abundance and the new flowering of humanity that was possible in the Roman Empire. But the distribution of personhood in the Roman Empire was profoundly unequal. Very few people were fully persons. And I mean that in a kind of literal way. Very few people were recognized as a persona, the Latin word from which we get person that's a legal term in Latin that means someone with the full standing in law and society to be recognized as a full human being. Only the pater familias, the head of the complex Roman household, counted as a person. And everyone else lived in various degrees of personhood from... Uh, children who could aspire to inherit their father's status, to women always treated as property of the paterfamilias, and then of course to maybe 20 or 25% of the Roman Empire who were slaves, not so much by virtue of race but by virtue of commercial or military misfortune, who were stripped of family, stripped of community, treated as property, and one of the most interesting things is what happened to the names of slaves. Because the Romans were very practical people. And if you really didn't have any prospect of ever becoming a person, they didn't really bother with a name. So if you were male, you were often just named by your birth order. Third, fourth, fifth, tertius, quartus, quintus. Or maybe you'd have a slave born, or a baby born to a slave woman. That child would always be a slave. And so you just decided to call them useful. In Greek, anesimus. This brings us to what is to me the most sociologically stunning chapter in the whole Bible. It's the least preached upon chapter of the most preached upon book in the New Testament, the Epistle to Romans. And it's Romans 16. And the reason we don't often preach on it is it's basically just a collection of greetings by name to a whole bunch of people that Paul knows or knows of, even though he's never been to Rome, and he wants to greet them by name. And it's an astonishing collection. Phoebe, Prisca and, Ac- and, Ac- Prisca and Aquila, Andronicus and Junia, uh, Herodian, Persis, Rufus. And all of these people, Gr- Roman names, Greek names, male names, female names, names that are clearly high status, names that are clearly low status, free names, names associated with slavery, all of them are kind of jumbled together in the set of greetings that Paul wants to personally connect with each of these people. And the most astonishing verse in Romans 16, to me, in some ways, the most astonishing verse in the whole Bible, comes near the end. And it says this, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Who is this? This is the scribe the amanuensis, the person who's been sitting, taking dictation. Probably early in life, he acquired literacy, probably as a slave. He may or may not be a slave at this time. He's low status. He's there to take down in fair hand the words of free men. And at some point, Tertius realized, realizes that Paul has stopped dictating and is looking at him. And Paul says, Tertius, you should greet them. You're a brother. I... What's his name? Tertius. Third. And third writes this. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, in whose house we're staying, greets you. Erastus, the city treasure, greets you. And so does our brother, Quartus. Fourth. Maybe Tertius' brother. Number three. Number four, now staying in the home of Gaius, having meals with Erastus and all of them by name, greet by name their brothers and their sisters in Rome and hand the letter to Phoebe to take to Rome. It's the most astonishing moment in the Bible for me in some ways. Every one of us came into the world looking for one thing. The moment we were born, we were looking for a face. We were born, and in the shock and surprise of birth, we opened our eyes and we looked for a face because until we see a face, until another sees us, we do not know who we are. And we looked for someone who would look at us. In the words of the psychiatrist Kurt Thompson, my friend, Every human being, their deepest drama is looking for someone who is looking for us. And we're in this room because someone, some face found our face and locked eyes with us and we were given a name. But at some point in every human life, the gaze shifts, the face disappears. No one is looking for us, that's loneliness. And in some lives that happens very early, even just in the moments after birth, as a glance is given, and then someone says, this is number three. Number four. And I imagine what it was like for Tertius to realize that Paul was looking at him, that Paul was seeing him, that he was a brother. And this was the revolutionary act of the early church. In an impersonal world, to recognize persons of every possible status, to see them all and know them all by name and name them all as brothers and sisters. Is it any wonder that the early church grew?
0: We are all looking for someone who is looking for us. One of our deepest desires as people, one of our deepest desires as God's people is to be connected, to be connected to one another, to be connected to community. In this video, we learned two things, two things we really already knew, but I'm hoping that we heard them in a different way and somehow that that cuts deeper into our heart. Number one, We live in an increasingly fractured and lonely world. You can look at your life, you can look at the lives of people around you, and you can see that. The second second thing that, that we know that we see him illustrate, especially here at the end, is that God has different plans for his people different plans, a different way to live, that he doesn't want us lonely, he wants us connected in community, and not just any community, but his community, doing his work. One of the things that we heard Andy Crouch say at the very, very end, the the very last line, it's no wonder that the early church grew. It's no wonder that the early church grew. grew. And what I believe he meant was, of course, the early church grew because of Jesus, because of miracles, because of the releasing of the Holy Spirit, because of uh, the transformation that happened in people's lives. But one of the ways that that was on display for everyone to see one of the ways that that was most visible in that society was the community that the early church developed. The way that it valued those who others didn't. The way that it welcomed people, not in just to, into the doors, but at kind of some lower level, some servitude, but it welcomed everyone in as full members of the community. No matter their background or their social standing. And that took place nowhere else but the church. What I want us to hear this morning, what I, I want to make sure again it gets deep into us is this idea: community is necessary. It's not just nice, not just something to add. It's necessary for us to be who God has called us to be. Us to be as a church, us to be as individual believers in that church. What I have noticed as I have observed my life and the lives of people around us is we all agree with the idea that community is important, that it's a good thing. But we seldom live our days making it the priority it needs to be, the priority it deserves to be. Relationships, community, isn't just something nice to add. It's not the cherry on top. It's necessary. It's necessary for us. It's necessary because God knew that we would need people around us to cry with us, to laugh with us, to encourage us, to pick us up when we fall, people to spur us on to do things we weren't sure we could do. There are so many places in the Bible where this kind of idea of the importance of community gets elevated and lifted, how we could go on and on and on. But one of the ones I want to focus on today is Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 39. This is a rather famous interaction between Jesus and an expert in the law. Verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together and they questioned him again. And one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus. They tried to trap him with this question Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wouldn't it have been great if Jesus would have stopped just with, hey, love God. There there are times... Where we feel like, okay, we could handle that part. We could do that. But he doesn't stop there. The New Living Translation, which I just read for you, it says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor. Value community. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, what Jesus was declaring to this group of Pharisees, to us today, is you can't properly love God it not a, and it not affect how you treat other people. There's a direct correlation, a direct connection between the two. First John 4:20 adds, it reiterates the point, really, "He who does not love his brother, whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen." Author Joel Mam connects these two verses to the pre-flight instructions uh, you get in, in an airplane. You know the ones where it says, in the event of an emergency, if the oxygen mask falls down, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you help others. The idea he explains is like this. In healthy community, everyone is pulling their own spiritual weight, spending time with God on their own, bring that life back into the community for everybody's benefit. He goes on to say, sure, there are some seasons, even long seasons, we've been there before, when someone can't pull their weight, tragedy, illness, discouragement hit hard. But he reminds us that's also what community is for, to care for one another, We invest in those who are hurting to bring them back to a place of strength so they can, in turn, help others. Jesus says, if we are going to be who God has designed us to be, we need both things. We need an individual, dedicated time to growing our faith with him and a community to grow in love. Just once more, I want to make sure that we got the point that Jesus made. He doesn't say it like this. Uh, A relationship with God, spending time with him is really, really important. It's way up here, and uh, loving others, being in community is down here. It's important, but it's just kind of a nice thing to add to it. That's not how Jesus describes it, how he explains it. He says, and the second It's equally important. It's equally important. This morning, as we move to action, what we can do with this, the question that is on my heart is how do we move community building? How do we move this idea from something that's just Uh, A a nice thing uh, to add something that uh, we agree on to an actual piece of action, to a practice. This isn't a a complex talk. It's not hard to understand what I'm saying. It's not even controversial. In fact, so many people in this room are probably saying, yes, this is great. We need more community. Somebody should do something about that. Somebody should prioritize that. Somebody should make that a a bigger issue. Today, I don't know about somebody. Today, I'm concerned with you and me what God is saying to us and what we can do about creating more community even this week. My question for you is, what's a step in the right direction? What's a step in the right direction that could be taken to build community this week? Maybe God is saying something specific and direct to you. If that is uh, the case, run with it. But here are a few other ideas. Some simple places to start. First is this. Pray that God softens your heart to the big idea. The big idea of this week is that building community is essential, not secondary. It's essential to me becoming all God created me to be. It's essential to you becoming all of who God created you to be. It's essential to the church being who God created the church to be. Second, idea for building community is maybe you got a troubled friendship in your life. Or there's some difficulty in a relationship. And the more we talked about community building today, the more you watched that video, the more your mind wandered onto that situation, that person. What's a step? What's a step towards healing that you could take? What's a grace-filled step that you could make? Third, this morning, is maybe there's someone that you don't know of, that is going through something hard or difficult? What's a way you could walk alongside them? What's a way that you could uh, just help carry that burden a little bit? That's part of what community is supposed to be. And the fourth, if none of those other ideas apply this morning, pick a person. Pick a person that you could just encourage this week. Pick a person and just put that uh, image, that name in your mind and think about a way that you could encourage them. Could you send them a note? Could you make a phone call? Could you invite them to a cup of coffee? Could you figure out some way to encourage someone else this week? It's not going to fix everything, but those are first steps. First steps to creating more community, greater community, because it's an important thing God calls us to in Scripture and our lives, and we need to live it out. Not just shake our heads, yeah, that's a good idea. We need to do something with it. Let's pray about that this morning as Daniel comes forward to close us in a song. God as we were reminded in this video that we saw as we opened up your word and as there are so many other places in the scripture community caring for one another putting others ahead of ourselves serving others is such an important of the Christian identity. Such an important part of the kind of identity you wanted to implant on us. You wanted to impart in us, God. It's one of those things that is so easy to agree with. Yes, that's a great idea, God, but when we go back out into the world and, and we get busy with schedules and all of the other things of life, it's one of the first things to drop away. My prayer for this room, for those of us who just spent the last 20 or 30 minutes thinking about this idea, God, my prayer is that we go from this place with an, uh, a bias towards action. The community building can stop being just something that we think is a good idea that we agree with. Maybe we even complain about and hope somebody else will take care of. That's something we do something with this week. Whether it's walk us along a friend, whether it's send a word of encouragement, maybe it's some healing words in a difficult relationship. Maybe it's something specific you're speaking to someone today, God. My prayer right now is that we put feet to those ideas. We put feet and action to those promptings that you have placed on our heart, God, because we know it's when our faith meets action, meets the steps of reality, God, that's when our lives and our spirits begin to flourish. Help that to happen all across this room name we pray. Amen. Amen.